Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Good morning, everybody. My name is Liz, and I'm also one of the lead pastors here at Life, uh, along with Dan. And yes, we are married. (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes people ask us, you know, if you didn't know, you don't know. So I just thought I'd throw it out there. So there's a story that describes... um, a time in Native American culture where young men go away in solitude uh, to prepare for manhood. And there was one such man that hiked into a beautiful valley, green with trees, bright with flowers. And it was there that he chose to fast in his uh, solitude time. And on the third day, He noticed a tall, rugged peak capped with snow, and he said to himself, I will test myself against this mountain. And so he put on his shirt, threw on his blanket, and he went up to this mountain and climbed the peak. And when he got to the top of of the mountain, he stood up there on the rim, and he just looked at the view. He could see forever from the top of the mountain, and his heart was full of pride. And then he heard this rustling at his feet, and he looks down, and he sees a snake. And he, he heard the snake speak, and he said, oh, it's too cold for me up here, and I'm, I'm freezing. Would you please put me in your shirt and, and take me down to the valley when you leave? And the man said, no, I know you're kind. You're a rattlesnake. And if I pick you up, you will bite, and your bite will kill me. No, said the snake, I'll treat you differently. If you do this for me, you will be special, and I won't harm you. And so the man, he resisted for quite a while, but the snake was very persistent and persuasive. So finally, the man, he picks up the snake, he tucks him in his shirt and carries him down the mountain, and he sets him down on the grass, and suddenly the the snake starts coiling and shaking, and he leaps and he bites the man. And the man cries, but you promised! And the snake replied, you knew what I was when you picked me up, and then slithered away. You know, We're in this series uh, where we're talking about the life of David. And David, last week, was just at the very peak of his mountain, right? He had slayed his great giant, Goliath, this enemy. He goes on eventually to become king after Saul dies. He has many victories in battle. He is riding the successes. He is at the top of his mountain swelling with pride. And then today, we are going to be reading a passage where we start to see some red flags enter the situation. And instead of heeding those red flags and their warnings, he comes to a very low point. But David's wrongdoings, they're not too much for God because God's grace is so much bigger than sin. So even though David knew what he was getting into, as he confesses before the Lord, the Lord forgives him of his sin. And so we're going to read 
this uh, story today. So it starts in 2 Samuel 11. And so I'm reading through the uh, New, New Living Translation, the NLT, and it'll be on the screen, but you can follow along. Um, we're going to be reading through chapter 11 and a little bit in 12. Not all at once, but we're going to talk through it. So um, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent the messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So from the beginning of this passage, we notice some red flags. In the spring was the typical time for kings and their men to go off to battle. But what is David doing? Yeah, he's staying home. He decided not to go out to battle, which is highly unusual for his role. He's the king. He's the leader of the army. He's the one that is in charge and responsible to take his men into victory. And spring is the typical time that this happens. Right before the harvest, this is the opportune time for your military campaigns, right? You go and you conquer new territory, you uphold your current region, you fight enemies, you secure your land. This was what they did. And David's been riding his successes at the peak of his mountain, and he says, you know what? I've had enough success. I think I'll sit this one out. You know, I think I'll sit on the couch and take some naps. That's what he's doing. Now, I'm all in favor of taking a day off and resting, right? That's very biblical. God sets that up as a rhythm and a pattern for our lives. But there is a time and a place for resting. And when all your men are on the front lines of battle, it is not couch time. But that's what David chose to do. So this is our first red flag. David sent his men to battle, but he stayed behind. And in staying behind, he welcomes complacency into his life. Have you ever allowed complacency to settle into your own life? you know, maybe towards a relationship or even your spiritual habits, those go-to behaviors when you're highly stressed, just become complacent about those little red flags in your life. We all have. So this, this morning, 
are the encouragement I have for you is notice these red flags in your life and, and take action now. So David, he's abandoning his responsibilities and he's taking regular afternoon naps. Seems like a very plush, luxurious life. Fine when it's not the wartime and battle time. But he decides on this particular day that after his nap, he's going to go on a stroll on his roof. And his roof, in that time, those are flat. It's not like he's, you know, in our time where we're, we're, there are peaks. So he, this is a flat area. And as he is in his palace, he's high above the city. So he can have this opportune view of um, people's homes. And he notices a woman in her courtyard. And she is bathing in her courtyard because they don't have indoor plumbing. So she's doing a normal thing bathing in her courtyard. And he uses his power to inquire about who she is. And the messenger comes back and says, yeah, it's, it's Bathsheba. You know, you know, Uriah's wife, you know. Because when David was a fugitive, a few chapters back, he was um, fleeing from King Saul, fleeing for his life, actually, in the wilderness. And there were some men that rallied around him for protection. And these men became known as David's mighty men. And he, they risked their lives to save David's life. And one of those mighty men is Uriah, the Hittite, the, the husband of Bathsheba. You know, David, Uriah, the Hittite. And not only that, um, but Bathsheba is the daughter of Eliam, who is another one of David's mighty men, the daughter. And Eliam is also the son of one of David's most respected advisors. So all of this information is he sends one of his messengers to go inquire about who she is and then come back and, and reinforce who she is and that, hey, David, she's off limits. It points to the fact that he probably already knew whose house he was gazing at from his roof. So here's another red flag of this situation. You know, David starts to abuse his power in this moment and really distance himself from reality. You know, when, when we want to control something in our lives, we're really good at creating like an alternate reality, right? An alternate truth where we can convince ourselves of different versions of a story, right? We can convince ourselves of, of different truth. And there's opportunities here all along the way. These little red flags are opportunities for David to turn around, to turn away from temptation. Even his messenger repeating, you know, but he doesn't. You know, do you guys recognize when you kind of start to do that rationalizing in your mind? Oh, it's just this one time. It's, it's really not that bad, you know. 
oh, it's just, you know, it's been a really rough week. So it's just this one time, you know, I worked really hard this week. Do you ever have those kind of thoughts that rationalize your behavior? Here's Here's a main takeaway from David's story this morning. Seemingly small, unchecked sin leads to more destructive sin. It always does. Now, Bathsheba, which is interesting, she is actually following God in what she is doing. There were prescribed times for women to have to bathe according to the Jewish law, and she is obeying God by having a bath at the right time to be purified and clean. She is obeying God, and yet she has been wrongly taken advantage of in the midst of her following God. Now, I hold space for those of you that this story can be triggering because what happened to her was really wrong. And we don't know a lot about her agency, but we do know about the agency of David, When a person is called to come and see the king, you better obey, otherwise you're going to die, right? So she goes to see the king. But what, what happened to her was really not okay. And we see that it grieves the Lord. So we're going to pick up the story again in verse 6. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David and When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. And then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he left the palace. But Uriah, he didn't go home. He slept right there on the floor of the palace entrance with the guards in place. And when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah, they're living in tents and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you can return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem another night, the day and the next, and David invited him to dine and to get him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. He again slept at the palace entrance with the king's guards. So when David hears that Bathsheba is pregnant, he starts to devise this plan of how he's going to cover up his sin. He thinks, man, if I can just get Uriah back from the battlefield, bring him in, give him a little, you know, TLC, butter him up, even get him drunk, oh, he's for sure going to take the much-needed break that he deserves, right? But in this moment, Uriah has more dignity than David. He immediately says, no, I, I can't go home to my wife. The ark, Israel, doesn't have a permanent home. 
My battle mates are out there sleeping on the ground. I can't abandon the mission for just a fleeting moment of pleasure. So David has to, has to think some more about how he's going to continue this plan. And so he writes a letter, verse 14, to Joab, and he gives it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle where it's the fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed, along with several other Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David, and he told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. And so this messenger comes back to David and basically tells him, Hey, we had a lot of casualties today. It was really bad out there today, David. Oh, and Uriah the Hittite has been killed. And David kind of dismisses it, and he says, Well, tell Joab, don't be discouraged. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. So fight harder next time and conquer the city. And when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. So, you know, in this whole situation, this is the first time we hear about the Lord. Because here is another red flag of David's situation. David has not been in touch with the Lord at all. God was, dis- was at a distance to him. It's not that God was distant, but he had put distance between him and God. He had kind of gone on autopilot, making his decisions, ignoring the red flags, knowing what he's getting into, distancing himself from God. He, started, he starts making these choices in just an echo chamber of his own reality, right? The own rea- his own reality that he's creating and justifying, and it's just getting worse and worse because now he arranges for Uriah's death. And there's a, lot of more, there's a lot more casualties than just Uriah, but to him it doesn't matter because it's all taking care of the sin he's trying to cover up. And now he takes Bathsheba as his wife so that, you know, probably the general public will just not, will just assume that now that Bathsheba is his wife, this is why she gets pregnant, she's a widow, everything is okay. But really, David has used his power and manipulated the situation for his own benefit. And here's the major uh, second takeaway from our story this morning is that without confession, sin leads us to conceal. David did whatever it took to not be found out. Can you relate to that? A priest who had spent a fruitless day fishing 
went inside to a store and he picked out three fat fish in the market and he he told the, the clerk, before you wrap them, toss them to me one by one. That way I'll be able to tell the head priest I caught them and I'll be speaking the truth. You know, we can, we can think that uh, telling the truth about our sin is like the worst possible scenario. Like we do not want to be found out, right? It's the worst case scenario if we're caught. We naturally think that, that being found out is the worst possible situation. But being found out, confessing our sin brings us, ushers us right into the very presence of God where we are met with grace and mercy. It's as it's actually the best possible scenario because without confession, sin leads us to conceal and small unchecked sin leads to greater destructive sin. And the only way to mitigate those things is confession to the Lord of where we are broken, where we have done wrong, where we have turned our back on him. So going back to this story, God's about to show up on the scene. It's interesting how many times the word sent is uh, said in this passage. David makes a lot of power plays with the word sent. He sends his messengers to get Bathsheba. He sends uh, you know, the death sentence letter with Uriah to the battle field. He sends for Uriah initially when he was trying to set him up to sleep with his wife. But now God is the one sending someone. And you know, he sends a prophet to David. And this prophet is named Nathan. So let's read chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the great God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. 
Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. So in every other nation at that time, the king was uh, seen as divine, okay? But the king of Israel was not. The king of Israel had to submit to the one true God. And David's task was to carry out God's commandments to Israel. And then God used prophets to encourage the king to carry out those commands. And if necessary, um, call them out and rebuke them. And so Nathan has to go to David to call out his sin. And so he tells David this very clever story to see how David responds really to the truth of his own self and behavior. And, and the king was the one who was supposed to judge these matters um, and, and give out, uh, you know, sentences. And so he hears this story and we're drawn to the poor man just like David. I mean, we sympathize with the poor man and his sweet little lamb and he cuddles it. I mean, could you even melt your heart anymore? And the rich man, he takes this lamb and eats it for dinner. And David was furious about this story. And he gives the death sentence as punishment. And he's quick to hand out this penalty without realizing his own guilt at the time. And then Nathan says, you are the man, David. You are that rich man. Oh. His heart just sunk. Okay, I'm going to continue um, uh, Dan's embarrassing story hour. And I've already, uh, <laughs> I, I've already okayed this with him, so you can feel not so bad for him. Um, but when Dan, Dan was a kid, he liked to collect baseball cards. Did anybody else collect baseball cards as a kid? Okay, yes, yes. Um, and so whenever he went to the grocery store with his parents, you know, he would try to um, get a dollar's worth of coins, right, so he could buy a pack of baseball cards. And he did some household chores around the house to, to earn some coins, you know. Um, so that was a usual thing, but sometimes he didn't have enough coins to equal a dollar. And so when this was the case, Dan would sneak into his dad's closet, and on the shelf in his dad's closet is, you know, an empty Cool Whip container, you know, those plastic, white, blue, you can see that, right? And that's where his dad kept extra change. So he would go sneak in the closet, take out that Cool Whip container, look around, how many coins do I need to equal a dollar? Okay, I'm just going to put that in my pocket. And then he would go to the store, a happy kid, knowing he had a dollar and he could buy his ba 
baseball cards, maybe his brother couldn't, who knows. Um, But then one day, his dad notices this trend of missing coins in his container. You know, all of a sudden, uh, the coins that he thought were there are not there on a regular basis. And, you know, Dan has a few siblings, so it's like, okay, who is doing this uh, mischievous little um, stealing So his dad thinks, okay, I know how to catch the culprit. I'm going to just like put some blue ink in the bottom of this so the next person that uh, digs in here is going to be um, found out. So, you know, Dan goes and gets the container out and finds his little change. And like Dan does, he puts it in his pocket. And when he goes downstairs or anything like that, it's a very like clunk, 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 clunk. Anybody else do that? And then he runs his hand along the wall. Just as a natural gesture, you know, dun, 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 and blue ink goes streaking on the wall, and da- his dad finds out that he is the man, okay? He has taken the coins. And Nathan, the prophet, he also cleverly figures out a way for David to be confronted with his behavior without just calling him out directly. And here's the key to the whole morning. David's response is confession. He stops running. He stops concealing. He stops manipulating. And he simply repents to the Lord. And God responds with forgiveness. Here's verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. We get ushered straight into the presence of his grace and his mercy in our lives. When the consequences of sin was death for us to bear, Jesus sent his own son to die in our place. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This is Jesus, the one we love and worship. He's disfigured, hanging on the cross so that you and I can come to repentance and new life in him. If you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus and said yes to him in your life, there is no better time than today. You can come talk to me. You can message us on Facebook, and we would love to pray for you to receive Jesus and his forgiveness that washes us clean. So here's my takeaways from David's life today. And the band can make its way up. Look for the red flags in your life. Notice those little ways. It seems they're unseemingly small, and so we can easily gloss over them But look for those red flags and take whatever needed action. You know, 
what it is. Take the needed action to turn away. Take the opportunity to turn away from temptation. We all have it. We all have it. I have it. (laughs) Then you can use a psalm like Psalm 32, 51, 103. You can use a psalm like that to just guide you in your personal prayer life. And you can use it this week. Read one of those psalms, commit to reading one, and just see, okay, Holy Spirit, where are you just bringing up, bubbling up those places where I just need to confess and ask for forgiveness? And do you have a Nathan in your life, somebody that you do go deeper with that can say, hey, are are you okay in this area? What's, you know, what's going on in this area as you're talking about and sharing about whatever? Somebody else can kind of push back and lovingly challenge you. And if you don't have someone like that that you go deeper with, now's the time to start praying, God, I, I, I need to take a step of vulnerability in a relationship. Show me which relationship it is. You know, even in small group, we have prayer time in small group, and sometimes that's a time where it's like, oh, my heart's beating outside of my chest. I feel like I'm sweating and I'm anxious. Should I share this thing? Yes, if, you're having, if it feels like you're having an anxiety attack, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, yes, you should share that. Because confessing what's really going on, what you're really struggling with, The scripture says the prayer of a faithful saint person in the church will heal you. When you confess your sin, when you confess what's going on in your life, it brings healing. Otherwise, we see the opposite is concealment and more destructive sin. So would you guys stand as we uh, turn to worship? I'm going to read just a part of a psalm as we enter into worship. This is Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Amen. Let us worship the Lord together. At Life Vineyard Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God. We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org. Oh, hey. You're still here. You're, you're like one of my favorite people. The, the kind of person that like sticks around after church while everybody else has left. Like you're still one of the last ones talking. You're like the podcast version 
of that person. And while I have you here, uh, if you didn't know, this is Pastor Dan. Uh, while I have you here, I just want to say, hey, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come to life if you're in the central Illinois area. If you're listening to this outside of central Illinois, go find a vineyard church. Vineyard churches are amazing places. Go find one near you. And if you're not near a vineyard church, then uh, just find a church, a community of believers that you can be involved with, be in community with. I think we are our best spiritual selves when we are in community with other people who are following Jesus. That's what the church is for. So we hope to see you here. And if not here, go find a community of believers that you can get involved with this week. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.